0: So I thank my God every time I remember Karen and her smarties. So thank you. My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm delighted to be able to open up the book of Philippians. We're taking a little detour because if, you're, if you've been coming regularly, you know we were studying the book of Acts and we're working our way through that. And then last week we got to this visit that Paul made to the city of Philippi. And I thought it would be helpful if we took this little detour then to see uh, how Philippi is one example of a community where Paul... Wrote back to them later to help them understand how to live out that mission and how they could be encouraged to do that. So that's why we're taking this little detour uh, for the next few weeks. So I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles up to Philipp- the book of Philippians. So we're in the New Testament. It's a little uh, letter of Paul about halfway through Philippians chapter 1. And uh, if you didn't bring your Bible, there's some Bibles in the chair. You can grab one of those or you can open up your phone or your device and Read along there. Philippians chapter 1. And I'm actually starting right at the beginning. Philippians 1, 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with all the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. Do you remember Forrest Gump? Tom Hanks got an Oscar for his portrayal of this man who was kind of trying to figure out what's the meaning of life. That was his goal. Do you remember his favorite saying? Life is like a box of chocolates You never know what you're going to get. So Forrest Gump's journey takes him to Vietnam, and at one point his platoon is coming under intense fire from the enemy, and Forrest does what he does best. He runs, but he just doesn't run himself. He starts to carry his platoon members one at a time out of the jungle and to safety. And the last guy that he carries out is his best friend named Bubba. And as he's carrying Bubba out, he realizes that Bubba has been seriously wounded and it's not clear whether or not Bubba will survive. When he finally gets him out of the jungle, Forrest looks at Bubba and says, Hey, Bubba. And Bubba looks back and says, Hey, Forrest. And then there's a little narration, and in the narration, Forrest says, Man, if I'd known he was going to die right there that day, I would have found something better to say to him. If you knew that you were having last words with someone that you really loved, would you think of something really significant to say to them? If you knew it was the last time you had to talk to them. As I was reading through the book of Philippians this week, it seemed to me that Paul might have had that frame of mind while he was writing. He's writing to these people while he's in prison, and he's not sure what the outcome of that is going to be. And he's got these people in Philippi who were really, dearly loved people to him. His affection for these people comes out over and over again. And as I was reading these words, it seems like, yeah, this might be the kind of thing you would say if it was your last chance to talk to some people that you loved a lot. His words are really rich and loaded with kind of a vision for what it would be like to live the good life. What is life in Christ like? And how do we live that out? Even Paul's opening comments, which we might be tempted to skip over because, you know, the beginning of the book of Philippians, his comments are very similar to the other letters that he wrote, kind of a standard, greetings to you, and I'm starting to write to you these words. But even these words start to describe Paul's vision for what it is like to live that good life. What is it like if we were going to follow Jesus with passion and let that shape us? He talks about a life that is worthy, a life that is lived to the fullest, a life that is flourishing, the good life. People have been interested in this question about the good life for a long time, long before Forrest Gump, long before the Apostle Paul. A thousand years before Paul, King Solomon asked the question about what is the good life, and he actually wrote a book about this. He asked these kinds of questions. Does the good life come from amassing wealth? Does the good life come from hard work, achievement, success, pleasure, recognition, fame? Are these the things that bring the good life? These are the questions that he asked. If you want to read about this, read his uh, book named Ecclesiastes. He's trying to figure out those questions. What's the good life? 400 years after, or 400 years before Paul, there was a philosopher named Aristotle who wrote a lot about the good life. And he said that the good life is happiness or prosperity that comes from finding your purpose and living it out with good morals, with good virtue. That was the good life for him. For generations since Solomon and Aristotle and Paul, other people have been writing about the good life and have started to raise some questions. Is it even possible for us to give the good life, and what would it look like? Is the good life from denying our desires or from pursuing them? Does our good life come from consuming more and more things or by living life more simply? Does the good life come when we live with and care for other people and invest in others, or does the good life come when we dig deep inside and know ourselves really well? What is the good life? When I'm reading through the book of Philippians, it seems clear to me that Paul is trying to get the answer to that question. Here is the good life. This is what it looks like. I think Paul had an intuition that people for generations before him wanted to know that and people for generations after him wanted to know that too. We still want to know that today. Actually, there's some interesting research that gets done about this question all the time. What does it look like to have the good life? One of them that caught my eye was one of the most recent research projects on this question. And what they discovered was that the majority of Americans still associate the good life with four pursuits. The pursuit of wealth, achieving success, pursuing pleasure, and pursuing fame. That sounds like the same list that Solomon had. So what I want to do in the next few minutes is I want to look at what Paul had to say about the good life and see if it might help us figure that out too. When Paul writes this letter, he I think gives a very clear indication at the beginning, and then he reinforces these things throughout the book. So we're actually going to spend four weeks in this. I'm going to give you just a brief introduction today on the four mar- or three markers of the good life that I think Paul introduces right at the beginning here. The first one is this, joy. And this isn't just any kind of joy. It's joy that comes from knowing that we belong to Jesus. This is very clear throughout all of Paul's writings, I think most clear in this book of the Philippians. And this comes from the very first words in the book, the first six words. Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus. Now, most of you have a translation that probably says servants. I think that's not strong enough. The word in the passage is actually slaves. If you're into writing in your Bible, I would actually actually tell you to take your pencil and cross out servant and write slave above that so that it can remind us that our one of our core identities in Jesus is that we are slaves, and we should remember that, which might seem kind of odd, because we don't usually like to think of being a slave. Being a slave is not usually perceived as a very good thing. One of my favorite stories about my nephew Ryan has to do with some time when he was helping his dad mark on some project, and it involved loading stuff into a wheelbarrow. I didn't remember if it was dirt or rock or what was it? Rock, he was loading rock into a wheelbarrow and he did not want to help his dad with this job. And uh, after he'd done it for a while, Mark went over and looked at the wheelbarrow and he noticed written in the dust on the wheelbarrow was the words, Ryan is a slave. (laughs) We don't want to be a slave. It's not usually thought of as being a very good thing. Paul starts his entire letter by saying, I'm a slave of Jesus. And that's a good thing. Because he's a slave of Jesus, he knows that Jesus owns him. He belongs to Jesus. This frames up everything that he writes about in the rest of the book. He's writing as one who is a slave to Jesus. And because he was a slave and he belonged to Jesus, he knew that no matter what happened to him, no matter what things he faced in life, he would be okay. Because Jesus would never surrender him. Jesus would never give him up. He would always belong to Jesus. And this resulted in joy and contentment and gratitude which just comes oozing out of the pages of this book because he knew that he was a slave to jesus it didn't matter if he was shipwrecked or if he was beaten or if he was thrown in prison or if he was abandoned or if he was hungry and thirsty or whatever he belonged to jesus he was a slave Knowing this allowed Paul to make some ridiculous statements in other passages, including this one. One of, I think, the most bold statements about this belonging, I think, comes from Romans chapter 8. This is verse 38 and 39. Here's what Paul writes. Because he belongs to Jesus, he says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what happens when you belong to Jesus, when you're a slave to Jesus. That means we have joy, no matter what comes, no matter what happens. Just about 1,500 years after Paul, a young Bible student was writing a document which was explaining the good life in detail. And he starts his entire document with this question. He says... What is the only comfort in life and death? That's a question about the good life, right? What's my only comfort in life and death? Some of you know the answer to that question. That I am not my own, but I belong, body and soul, in life and death, to my faithful Savior who gave himself for me. I belong. And because I belong, I have great joy. This is a a key for Paul to the good life. It brings us joy. The next key that comes out in this passage is gratitude. Paul is so thankful. And the thing that comes out in the first chapter here is Paul's gratitude because God shapes us, because Jesus is busy at work transforming and shaping people. And I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses I learned when I was a young kid, Philippians 1.6 he who began a good work will bring it to completion. That Jesus is working in us. He's working to transform us. And there's nothing that's going to stop him from completing that work. And the result of that good news is, I'm just so thankful. I can't help but be grateful for the work that God has accomplished me. This comes out in Paul's writing here. I love the way he expresses this over and over again, even in this first chapter. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. How can he say that? He has confidence that as he's thinking about these people he loves in Philippi, God is transforming them. Thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I'm filled with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Hear the gratitude there? I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending the gospel, you share God's grace with me. I pray that your love will abound more and more. I pray that you will discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. I pray that you will be filled with the righteousness of com- that Christ has and I give thanks for this. He's deeply grateful for this. He rejoices in all of this. Because Paul belongs to Jesus, because he's a slave to Jesus, he realizes that he belongs to these people in Philippi too. They belong to each other. They're in this together. And they, he just is so grateful. He just is so encouraged. And the, his, I used to think of Paul as being this really staunch, stern, hard man. But when you read these words, it's like, man, this guy is a teddy bear he is these words are filled with intimacy and passion and emotion and he loves these people he's so thankful for them because they're in partnership with him he belongs to jesus and so he belongs to them he belongs in this mission with them of seeing them transformed and shaped and reshaped and seeing god work and that's the good life i got to experience a little bit of this this past week a bunch of us had the opportunity to be involved in Transform Week with Matthew 25, which is going out into our community to serve our um, neighbors. One of the interesting things that happens when you do that is you actually connect with each other while you're doing this. And you start to feel a sense of, you know, we're in this together. And it just made me give thanks for this experience. And I actually wanted to hear, have you hear a little bit about this. So Gary, are you ready to, ready to do this? Come on up here. Gary was there for several days of this project there are some other people here this morning who were there. Just stand up and let us acknowledge you if you were at this transform week, because we're going to talk about you now. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Sh- share your thoughts.
1: Awesome. Okay. So you like my shirt? And this cool? So okay. make sure you can all see. Check this out. Okay. This was part of the provided attire the Transform Week that Kent was talking about as far as uh, Matthew 25, um, and it was a, a tremendous week. Um, how many of you have heard of the Matthew 25 organization? Show your hands. Okay, so, so a lot. Um, I thought I knew a lot about Matthew 25 until we got a chance to go through the Transform Week, and I started digging in a little bit more because they are much deeper than anything that I had thought. Um, Matthew 25 is a Cedar Rapids organization organized here whose mission is is to empower people to transform neighborhoods and communities, okay? So to empower people to transform neighborhoods. You think about, it doesn't say I'm gonna go out and I'm just gonna do help for a lot of people. It empowers other people in order to do that. So it's not a welfare program. It's basically allowing um, others to basically help those who are needy, people who are poor, um, people who really um, maybe don't have the means or the capabilities in order to do that. And when we get a chance in order to do that, it grows the community. So it's really, really cool. Now, why do you think that they would do that? So that's their mission. Their vision is to create connected communities where people are valued. What a great vision. Where families have access to affordable housing. That's really good. To healthy food and where youth have access to a good education. So again, you think about growing communities. Those are all the foundational kinds of things that go there. And when we're able to do that as part of the empowerment that Matthew 25 does, um, we're doing um, what God has called us to do in terms of the kinds of things that Kent was talking about that where, where Paul was going out and, and helping people. Okay. So we here at Cedar Hills um, partnered with Matthew 25 and, and provided really good support for that vision. Okay. Um, we had 21 different people. Um, who volunteered a total of 275 hours, that's in a week. So you think about that, it's like we basically had the equivalent of seven full-time people for 40 hours over that week, helping out on five different projects. So what did we do in terms of those projects? So we accomplished a whole lot in terms of of what that week was going on. Um, We uh, helped to re-roof a house, we re-roofed porches, we rebuilt porches, we rebuilt roofs over porches. Um, we ripped out toilets. We put in toilets. We ripped out floors. We put in floors. We did painting. Um, we provided water and food to the folks that were doing some of, the, uh, some of the work and some of the sites. It was hot last week. Let me tell you the end of the week, guys. It was really hot. I know that there were a lot more people who wanted to be a part of, of the week, um, but again, for those of us who were able to do that, it's like we were truly blessed you know, besides just the work that we accomplished, we also had the opportunity um, to eat with each other. So we, we sat down and we shared meals. We were able to pray with each other. We always started in prayer. We had a prayer during uh, the meals that we had. We got a chance to reach out to the families that we were helping and talk with them as well. If you think about, we really acted like a big extended family not just with each other here in our community, but with the, the folks from the other organizations that came and helped out, and also with the families whose homes were being, being improved, okay? Um, Matthew 25 gets its name from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, and it starts out like this. The kingdom of heaven is like, and then it goes on to talk about three parables, how regular people use their talents some wisely, and some not so wisely, to demonstrate either how the kingdom of heaven will be, there's the sheep, or how the kingdom of heaven won't be, there's the goats. And for me, um, I really believe that this past week was a great example of how the kingdom of heaven is here on earth, but also how it will be with our Cedar Hills family working together with other organizations around Cedar Rapids, helping our Cedar Rapids community in the everyday things of life. Just the practical outreach of God's love to people who truly are in need and don't know how to get some help, okay? That sounds an awful lot like the gospel communities that we've been preaching and teaching and discussing over the past year, and I am really excited Uh, To continue on that journey to see where god is going to take us In terms of our ministries and how he's going to grow our gospel communities So that was the week to me. Thank you
0: So I was thinking about that verse I thank my god every time I remember you when I was thinking about these guys I didn't work on wednesday because I couldn't get any of them to come here and write a sermon for me So I had to come back here and work on that And I was thinking I I I thank my God every time I remember Dave Hansen, That guy has a laugh that will go throughout the entire neighborhood. Doesn't matter where he's at on the, in the house or out of the house, we could hear Dave laugh. And I thank my God for him and his generosity in bringing bottled water and Gatorade and all that stuff for us. I thank my God for these uh, women who came not knowing what they were going to do. Uh, Joyce and um, Susan and um, Ina and... Nancy. There was a bunch of, and the, the work was dirty and hard. They didn't know exactly what they were going to do. And I thank my God every time I think of you willing to take on whatever. And then they're the ones who came around with the uh, ice cream bars. Those were a wonderful treat when we were sitting up on a hot roof. I thank my God when I think about these guys who came and servant-hearted Gary and Skip and... Um, Scott, bring in your sons and lugging those railroad ties into that dumpster. Dirty, hard, heavy, hot work. I thank my God when I think of these guys and their hard work. thank God when I think of George and, and Larry and Jack and their expertise, their willingness to, to figure out the complicated pieces of these jobs and, uh, and stay at it long after everyone else was kind of ready to wrap up. I thank my God every time I think of Wayne and his project management, and his patience to answer a hundred questions of people wanting to know, what should I do now, and what can I do next, and how do I do this? And his tireless, well, I won't say tireless, because I heard about naps that came after everybody went home. So, I thank my God when I think of these people who were dedicated to serving our community and serving each other, and with great gratitude I think one of the expressions I heard more often this week than any other was, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for what I have. I'm grateful for what I'm able to do. I'm grateful for what I'm able to contribute. I'm just thankful. This is one of Paul's keys to the good life. Gratitude. And recognizing that because we belong to Jesus, we belong to each other. And as we belong to each other, we go out to share the gospel with anybody who wants to do it. And we share that in in word and in deed. So that's another key, I think, to the good life as Paul unfolds it in the book of Philippians. Okay, the final one is hope. Paul says the good life is hope. And the the hope comes from the reality that Jesus gives life. And this comes from some of the paragraphs we didn't read in chapter 1. I invite you to go back and reread those. But it's summarized in verse 21 when Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Paul has hope because his life is in Christ. And whether he's living and continuing to serve, or whether he is dead and gone and spending eternity with God, he's, he's hopeful. And he shares this hope with everyone who's there. This hope shapes the community. And he, time and time again, tells these People he loves in Philippi to have hope because God is at work and God is going to continue his good work and nothing is going to stop him to ever stop him from completing that good work. And that's the reason why we have hope. Hard times come, and Paul had a lot of hard times. He faced some really difficult situations, but he never lost hope. He didn't lose hope because God loved him, he belonged to Jesus. He didn't lose hope because he belonged to a great community that was being shaped and formed by Jesus. And he didn't lose hope because he knew whether or not in life or in death he belonged to Jesus and nothing was ever going to change that. That is the good life. And today it works out great for us because one of the best ways I can think of to illustrate the good life is to come to this table. We call it the Lord's Table. We call it Communion. Uh, many traditions call it Eucharist. You know what Eucharist means? Give thanks. We come to this table, it's a table of gratitude. What happens when we come to this table is we, re- we remember, first of all, that Jesus gave his life for us. He died on the cross. He, his body was broken, and his blood was shed for us. And as we remember what Christ has done for us, what's our response? Give thanks. We give thanks.